Shalom and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm Miriam Anzavin, and my co-host Dan Seligson and I are very excited about this particular episode. Dan, why are we so hyped? Well, Miriam, it's because we are here with the director and stars of the newly released film, The Vigil, now playing in theaters and on streaming services. The Vigil is a tale of supernatural horror set in Hasidic Brooklyn, in which a young man providing overnight watch to a deceased member of his former Orthodox Jewish community finds himself opposite a malevolent entity in writer-director Keith Thomas's electrifying feature debut. This movie scared the hell out of us, and we enjoyed it so much. So we are absolutely delighted to welcome director Keith Thomas. Welcome, Keith. Hey, thanks for having me. We are also thrilled to have Dave Davis, who plays the much-tormented Yaakov, who has appeared on The Walking Dead, True Detective, and Logan. Hi. Hi, and we are very fortunate to have Malky Goldman, who appeared in the Netflix hit Unorthodox. She not only plays Sarah in the film, but she was also an associate producer as well. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Let's talk about the inspiration for this film. There have been Jewish horror movies before, but they usually revolve around either uh, a golem story. There's that that uh, classic X-Files episode. There's been a number of golem movies or a Dybbuk. The Vigil is breaking new ground, though. Not only in this film is the villain firmly rooted in Jewish demonology with the mazik, but the actual stage or backdrop of the story itself is the common Jewish death ritual among religious Jews who do this. What is the impetus to take this particular path in this Jewish occult story? I think for me, it was both business and personal and the personal note, it's just something I've been fascinated by for a long time. I had attended a rabbinical school. Some, it's funny, some folks refer to me as a rabbinical school dropout. I, I, did, I actually graduated. I just wasn't a rabbi. I was studying other things there. But in my studies of theology, I was very interested in monsters. And that was actually my master's thesis was on monsters in the Torah. And so I always had that interest. I knew I wanted my first film as a director to be a horror film. And I thought there aren't that many. There's probably less than 10 Jewish horror films kind of in history, but they're either Dybbuk's, which I get Dybbuk's are cool, evil ghosts, but I felt like we'd seen that before and it's not as interesting. I hadn't seen Shadim or Demons and I thought, okay, this is a cool way to go. And then, you know, like I said, there's a mercenary aspect in that if you find something that speaks to you, but that you've never seen before, like you can make that and someone will pay you. <laughs> so that was part of it. The Vigil was truly a very, very frightening movie. As a horror buff kind of on hiatus, because my wife has lately refused to watch them, it was really refreshing to see a movie that just was like an old school terror fest. It was like jump scares and freaky stuff in a basement. I to me, as a child of the 80s, I thought about Poltergeist, the guy from the film crew staring in the mirror and then does some stuff to his face. If you've seen that, or check it out on YouTube. <laughs> I thought of the grudge for some of the visual elements. I, I was feeling some paranormal activity for the tension that that was created in a tiny space. And I, there was definitely some exorcist vibe and then Evil Dead 2 with some narration about, about the evil <laughs> spirit. And I know, Keith, that you had some other inspirations as well. Can you talk about those a little bit? 
Yeah, I think from the very beginning, when I first met with my producers, it, even when I had written the script and when I was going to try to do it myself, kind of just with a local crew, I knew I wanted to be a horror film first. It was going to be through this Jewish lens and it was going to be in this community, but I was going to just try to make a nuts and bolts horror film and kind of have it reflective of those films that I liked. And then when I met with my producers, they were very much on the same page, even though they are Orthodox Jews, they'd never made a Jewish movie before. They've made a lot of horror movies. And so it just was a good fit. Like, let's just make another horror film, but it'll have this Jewish setting and this Jewish lens. And for me, while I like broad swath of horror films, I'm, you know, I, I, I watch most of them from the slashers to the, the big monster movies from my favorites were always the more atmospheric from, you know, Texas Chainsaw to The Thing. But for this in particular, it was uh, Jacob's Ladder, which is an underseen oh, Adrian Lyne I film from the 90s, which is like very much about angels and demons, but told in a very, very grounded way. And that was, you know, that was structurally an idea. That was a film that spoke to me when I had seen it when I was younger. And then was something that I was like, this is this could work for this. And then atmospherically, it was just a film that was. Another one was Angel Heart. Oh, interesting. I'm curious for Dave and, and Malky, uh, was horror your thing before? There's definitely some horror movies that I love. But for me as an actor specifically, what I'm interested in is, is human stories. You know, I really like playing real people. And actually, strangely enough, despite this film being fictional and about demons, that was what attracted me to the script is that Yaakov is really, it is so grounded and he is such a real person. And and it represents a, a real community with real struggles that they're going through. That was what really turned me on to this movie was being able to dig into that. And yeah, I loved horror. Just like Keith was saying, he didn't want to make a, necessarily a Jewish film. He wanted to make a horror movie. I didn't necessarily want to make a horror movie. I wanted to make a, a, a human movie. And I think that those are the things that allowed us to really connect with so many different people on so many different levels. And it's been really amazing to see the way that people have responded to the elements of faith in the script and the elements of mental health and see how scared people get. Like, I, I love that. As a performer, you want to make people cry. You want to make them laugh. And seeing people bite their nails and sweat and hide under the covers, like that's that's just an incredible response. Yeah, you both freak me out very much. Malky, what about you? <laughs> Um, I do love horror at times. I I never love a category. I love things. So there are horror stuff that I like, films or series. And as an actor, I did not, when I read the, the, I read the script, I didn't think of it as a horror film. I saw it more as this is the film. And then this woman is meeting this guy. And then later on, this demon is impersonating this woman. So to me, it was just actor's challenge, which I love. And same with, with associate producing. I was doing more, I was doing Yiddish with Dave, which was so much fun. I, we had a blast. I was involved in the paintings. We discussed which paintings are allowed to be on the wall, which rabbi would sit next to which rabbi, like, we can't have the Lubavitcher rabbi on the wall. It's a Hasidish, uh, Sadmer Hasidim, or maybe not even Sadmer, maybe Bells, but still, not Lubavitch, you know? I love this attention to detail. Uh, this is the authenticity that was so brilliant about this movie. Please continue, continue. Yeah, I, I always get so fascinated, and I think, am I missing something? Because I never see something as a whole category. 
I just see, oh, this is this house. And then this is this demon. But then it just goes into a horror category. So I will say, yeah, I like horror. But I overall like good things and good art. There's horror movies that I love so much. But what I really like is good plot. We were talking before the interview about demons a little bit. And something that Keith and I have discussed in the past is we both loved Dante's Inferno when we were younger. Because the whole idea of this like hierarchy of demons and like the levels, it's just so fascinating. And, and the, just the way that works. And Keith was saying that there wasn't necessarily too much of that to explore in the Jewish faith. So being able to kind of develop that, that world is, is a really exciting opportunity. And, and I think the film has just the right amount of explanation and plot where you can get into it and understand like the motivations behind the demons too not just the characters, but like why these things exist and how they affect the world around us and how it actually logically makes sense in the real world. At the same time, not giving so much away that you go, oh, okay, I get it. I'm, I'm super excited. So I'm just jumping in here. Something that I really loved about this film and Dave specifically about you is I've done other projects where actors would ask questions and directors would say, does it look right? And you, Dave, you didn't care about do I sound? Do I look right? You just wanted to meet people that are like the person you're playing. And you just wanted to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And you always talk about how you, you asked, what was the first movie you saw? When was it? How did it feel? Why do you have an accent? What happens to your mouth while you speak? And you just wanted to really understand the inner self rather than create a caricature or like do I look or sound like a chassid you just wanted to be Yaakov inside out and I I just loved working with you in this process Thanks, and say, yeah that was, it was really important to me and same was with Dave and and uh, it was with Keith the the director and, and Rafi the producer attention to detail attention to authenticity was the 100% top priority they the honest there was no okay we have to move on to the next shot if it was not authentic if it was not correct there was nothing in the world that was going to stop it was just really really incredible to work on this film so i have to ask a jewish nerd question here i have participated in the preparation of a body for burial on one occasion you know according to jewish custom i served on the chaver kadisha once it was not quite like this, and that's okay. Uh, but this movie hits different because of that. Like, 100% does this movie hit different. I have to know, what have responses been like from people who have been a showmare or have served on a Hever Kadisha? Because that made me like it more, but I'm interested to know, what have people said? Yeah, I would say the folks that I know, I've never been a showmare. And I've been around dead bodies mostly in my previous work in healthcare, but they, you know, the response has been, it's been a good one. It's one of those ones where I suppose you could worry a little bit that it could scare people out of wanting to do it, but I was never worried about that. It, the, the ritual itself is a very beautiful one and it's a mitzvah and it's something that in 99.9% .9 of cases is something done by family members or friends. These are not just these aren't bodies of people you don't know that you're doing this with so that was what was interesting to me is this paid showmare idea this one that really only exists in these communities where someone is sitting this vigil so to speak for some cash but the folks that i know who've sat showmer and have seen the film 
they still find sort of beauty in the ritual. It also, I will say, you know, we are pushing things a little bit by having the body be in a house. I had that vetted by several rabbis say, yeah, this could happen. Does this happen often? No, absolutely not. It's, it's usually not the sort of setup and you're not alone like this in a house, but so we took some liberties there, but overall, I would say that the response has been very good. No one, no one has said, oh, you just ruined being a showman." You, you did me. for me. So <laughs> Probably nice. not going to do it. <laughs> By the way, Keith and my family, they actually do believe in that the, the kids should be the shomer and that the body should stay at home. So even if the person and they're alive, their life in the hospital, they would be brought back home and watched over at home. Yeah, I, I have a lot of idea, thoughts and whatever, just stuff I've explored in terms of life and death and birth. And we treat, in society, we treat birth as a very beautiful, incredible thing. And I've been at the birth of all three of my children, and I, I know it firsthand. But we tend to avoid death and treat death as this, like, put that behind locked doors. I don't want to see that. I can't be around that. And yet it's just as beautiful a sort of transformation, so to speak. If there's an entrance and there's an exit to everything. And I'm not going to start singing songs about seasons, but it's, you know, there's a beauty to it. And it was something that I thought wanted to try to capture in this as well. There's just a profundity of if you have been with someone who is deceased or is dying, the profound stillness of that moment. And so that was something, yeah, that we were, that was always in the back of my head as well in terms of, A, it's a scary horror film. You're with a dead body. People are scared of dead bodies. But it doesn't have to be something that we see as like, I, I don't want to ever be around that or deal with that because we all eventually will. Keith, I read in an interview with you that you have an idea for a movie based on Lilith. Mm. Lilith as a demonic uh, character who shows up in pop culture really quite a lot, but is often separated from the Jewish mythological background for for her, which is kind of frustrating. We talk about that in every episode that we talk about (laughs) demons. Can you tell us more about what your take would be for a Lilith story? And can my favorite demon, Azazel, make a cameo? (laughs) Yeah, you know, Lilith, I find fascinating, especially when uh, in my research, when I was in grad school, kind of coming across the idea of Lilith theme, there are many of them. There's not just one. And there's this, I, so there's like what we've seen in a lot of pop culture is the succubus, the uh, Lilith as the temptress, the Lilith who is what, you know, all those succubus ideas. And then we see them in, honestly, it's like late night cable movies. That's where they show up because like, that's where you're going to see the erotic thriller with the succubus sort of thing. I'm more interested in the other Lilith or Liliths, which are the ones that take babies and raise babies in the underworld to become other demons. There's a lot of crossover with this idea with La Llorona, which is in Mexico, you'll hear about La Llorona, a you know ghost woman who will take children. So there's some crossover with that, but, but the Lilith thing feels different enough that I, I hadn't seen it before that I thought okay, there could be an interesting angle there. This is a story based in ancient Jewish demonology. The catalyst for much of what happens are acts of anti-Semitism. Why was it important to link the supernatural demonic fear and the pain and kind of this painful experience with the actual experience of the characters in the movie? The two were linked. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say, I mean, there are kind of layers to this question. There's the surface layer, which is in terms of just the mechanics of our mozic. Our mozic feeds on pain, which I just as an idea that I thought I hadn't seen before in the same sort of way. And you see a lot of boogeymen who feed on fear, right? They try to scare you and that gets them going. Like think of Stephen King's It uses fear. That's how it's functioning. I thought pain would be an interesting one and guilt. And if you're going to tie pain and guilt in and you're going to go into this community and go into a Jewish perspective, it's going to involve anti-Semitism. And I wanted it to kind of you know, run the whole strata. You know, anti-Semitism is considered the oldest hatred or it's been called the oldest hatred. And so I wanted to show that pogroms, Holocaust, the whole gamut to modern times. And the incident that Yaakov has a flashback to is something I witnessed myself in New York. It was not played out the way that we see it in the film, but it was definitely unnerving and something that I felt guilt over because I saw it and did nothing. And it was just one of those, right? So there's lingering me working through my own issues there. On another level, it is about Jewish demons in the sense of in Judaism, right? We don't have a devil like in the Christian theology in terms of some sort of entity dueling with God to take souls, that sort of thing. So any demon in a Jewish conception of the world is going to be working with God in a way. And so this demon, this mazik, it, it wants, it, its function is for Yaakov to survive, to get out. It's going to push him in these, it's a very kind of Jewish idea of struggle. You have to wrestle with ideas. You have to wrestle with the pain. You have to overcome this thing to get out. And that's what it wants. Not everyone's strong enough to do it. And so that was kind of a, another layer to it. And if you're going to be talking about this community and talking about Jewish pain, it's going to involve anti-Semitism and things that keep people apart, keep people afraid, keep people insulated from larger world. At the same time, I will say that I, I wasn't trying to solve anything in that, like, you know, oh, just defeat this imaginary creature and you'll be free of all your pain, which I, I hope is obvious in the film as well, that you need to learn to live with things and be able to move with them. Uh, not, you can't ever leave them behind, truly. And that's kind of the challenge here. It was so powerful in the movie, but I had no idea that that was based on a real thing you had witnessed. It was kind of crazy when we were filming it. Just, you know, it's funny. It was many, many, many years ago, and it was in very different circumstances. And like I said, the events of this incident didn't play out the way they play out in the movie. The movie's very dramatic with what happens. They say you write what you, if I'm going to write a movie about pain and guilt and these sorts of things, I'm going to pull up stuff that affects me so that it's there on the page and so that it's there that we can mine that and use that, which sometimes can be difficult. But I think what Dave kind of did with that flashback scene and kind of, I mean, it was very, very emotional, very powerful. Everyone could feel it. You know, when we, at the end, after we shot that, it was, there was, there was just silence. And I remember even when we were, when I was editing in LA, when we cut that scene, it was, it's powerful. It's a, it, it, it's one of the most, the things I'm most proud of in the movie is how that flashback works. We just, it just felt like lightning in a bottle in that. Dave, there was a lot of you in this movie, like maybe 90 to 95% of scenes were at least half your face filling the screen. And it was wonderful. I mean, your character's journey, the torment that Yaakov faces in the house, his familial anguish, the physical and emotional pain, you 
captured that. And I'm wondering how you got into Yaakov's character. There's a few different answers to that question because there's the technical side of the research and there's the learning about that community and there's the constantly pestering Malki with questions and Malki very beautifully introduced me to a lot of people and it was just a lot of interviewing, a lot of meeting people and and even that process, you know, I didn't want it to be super scientific conversation. I wanted to be able to get to know people organically. We hung out together, we drank together, we talked about things other than Judaism, other than the movie, other than the community and just tried to really understand people. And then through that, I was able to, like Malky was saying earlier, it was very important for me to build that characterization organically from the bottom up, understanding people's childhoods, understanding their relationships with American culture versus Hasidic culture, understanding the differences in the way that they view and experience Judaism to the way that I grew up in Reformed Judaism, and really trying to build a picture for myself of what those lives are like and and understand how I would feel and behave in the same circumstance. And then on top of that, you know, and then add in the the dialect and the language part of that as well. But then on top of that, there's the stuff that Yaakov is going through, his mental torment, his grief. And so that was, you know, a lot of conversations with Keith, understanding why he wrote Yaakov the way he did how that character came to exist in that way and trying to do the same thing, trying to understand that and and relate to it. One of the more important aspects of Yaakov was his mental health status, which I've dealt with firsthand and secondhand. And it was very important to me to understand or to feel the same way that it was important to me to represent the Jewish, the Hasidic community and to feel that it was an authentic representation. I didn't want to have some, you know, half-baked idea of a mental disorder and Keith and I talked about this at in, in at great length. And that at the end, Keith Keith just said this a moment ago, that we didn't want to feel like, oh, okay, I faced the monster and now I don't need medication anymore. You know, so we didn't want this to be some sort of cure-all where someone with a mental disorder would watch this and feel like, oh, okay, thanks a lot, guys. So all I need to do to not have a health issue is is confront my demons. You know, fuck you guys. So it was very important for us to make that all authentic. And in that way, we had to understand how long has Yaakov been struggling with this? It was obviously exacerbated by his traumatic experience and the leaving of the community. But was it something that was present prior to to that? Is it purely PTSD? Is it also other things at play? How are they working with each other? How long has he been in therapy? So those are all the types of things I would try to do to understand. And that's just to form the base level the, you know, the platform to then build the character on top of. Then we get into filming. And then this is a whole nother thing, which was really difficult for me, is actually trying to live inside of Yaakov's fear, grief. Once we've identified, built, and understood these things, how can I now assault my own heart with them and then live inside of that pain, struggle, grief, reality, for the extended period of the shoot, which at times is very, very difficult, but super rewarding. People have asked me before what the more difficult scenes to film were. And an answer that I like is that the difficult part was the living in it, was the keeping myself there and understanding it, actually doing the work. And you you said, there's a lot of me in the movie, but 
the working, that's the fun part. The hard part is when you're not working. The hard part is when it's somebody else's scene and you're sitting there like waiting for that moment as the anticipation. When you actually have done all the preparation and then you get to just unleash it, that's cathartic. They, you know, Keith says, cut, I think we got it. And it's like, thank God I never have to do that again. I can let go of these feelings. I don't, I never have to imagine what it's like. I don't want to give spoilers, but I never have to imagine what X is like for this project. Again, I can move forward now from those feelings and that, that process. Yeah, I was just thinking how, how Yaakov's range of brokenness, complicated grief to leaving the life that he lived for the longest time to the, 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 all the events that led him up to that evening it just took so many different aspects that, and, and I'm thinking about, you're talking about the way that you built him. You, you essentially built Yaakov and then, and then gave him life. Like a golem. <laughs> I was thinking about how, how much of you had to go into that and, and sit in that tiny room with that camera in your face. That was the most challenging performance of my career uh, so far. Uh, before that, the most difficult performance I've done was Hamlet and just, the amount of, first of all, comparing uh, anything to Shakespeare is like a great compliment, I think, the fact that they can be held um, in the same way. And I think Keith's story really, there, like you said, there's so much at play in there. And one of the first conversations Keith and I had before I had even read the script, when he was telling me about it, or actually maybe it was after the first time I read the script, but I was not interested. You asked the question before about connect, why is it important to connect the grief of the community to the supernatural and the demon. And that was one of the first things I asked because I didn't, I wasn't interested in a movie about a person running away from a scary thing. I've done that before. It's not fun to act scared when there's no real motivation there. Now, when you're acting scared because you're confronting your personal trauma and your personal grief, that's a real person. I, I don't want to necessarily use the word fun because it wasn't fun, but that's the excitement and the challenge of acting is is to get to live that and embody it. And Keith assured me from the beginning that this was not just a monster movie, that there was more going on here. And that's the reason why the monster is so powerful. Uh, so once, once he had me on board with that, then it was just a matter of breaking it down. And I, I'm sure I was a little bit annoying to him at times because I would constantly be going, all right, what about this? What about that? What, why can you make sense of that? Why that doesn't work? We have to fix that. The script was already so beautiful and it just continued to grow and evolve as we became more authentic with input from Malky and people like Malky. And, and we weren't, we never shied away from diving into those, into the weeds. So Malky, let's actually talk about that a little bit because you play Sarah, a character who, who's in the movie briefly, but has a very big impact. And she mirrors your life experiences in certain ways ways. You grew up in an ultra-Orthodox uh, family and you are now on your own path. And now here you are both acting in and being an associate producer on this film, teaching the Yiddish, bringing all this knowledge from your own experience in your own life. What does it feel like to be providing the grounding authenticity here for this project and for other projects you're working on? It is actually really beautiful because I often think about that we are who we are for where we came from. And I wouldn't have been here if I did not grow up in this community. And I wouldn't have been here if, I don't know, maybe I would be somewhere else. But since I like this place, I love to embrace what this was for me, what that part of my life 
20 years of my life, what that was. And art, to create art is all I want to do in my life. I like to paint and I like to act and I like to produce. I mean, not the actual hard work, but to tell everyone what to do, yes. <laughs> and, and saying that is, of course, I'm not saying, turning around and saying, oh, this community is beautiful. I mean, I left, I'm not a fan. But it works for some people and doesn't work for others. And if it didn't work for me, it doesn't mean it was all bad. And I also think that to be able to embrace the good and the bad of something is all I need to just keep smiling and keep staying alive. The challenge becomes when people ask you to come and help, but all they want you to do is reassure them that they're doing the right thing. And then it becomes challenging. An example would be a friend and I went on a film set to play ex Hasidim, and they said, well, what would you wear if you're going to your friend's Shabbos meal? And we said, oh, I would wear, and we show pictures, pictures, what we actually wear. And they're like, no, that's too stylish. It wouldn't have happened. And we say, hey, this is us. We're our pictures, how we dressed. And they go now and dress us in some tasteless outfits. And that's painful. Don't you dare tell them right? This is how I treat the community. I'm allowed to complain. I'm allowed to say this and this and this about them sucks. But don't you dare come in and tell me things about my community, my people, my brothers and sisters, my cousins, all these people that I care for. Also, don't tell me they're great. I don't want you to say anything about them. Leave this for me. So when I get to a project and they ask me the questions and they let me answer, I love it. From A to Z, no matter how easy it is and how hard it is. But if I get to a place and they say, well, but it could happen, right? Then I just want to run. Then it's not fun. Then it just feels exploitive and it just makes me feel shitty about everything I've gone through and feeling so small and how you're being seen by others. And this project, it was not like that. It was like, you're a person and we are people and we all have our experiences and let's share them and let's create something really beautiful out of it. And I just absolutely loved it. I did want to say something about Dave, but Dave, you wanted to say something? No, well, you can talk about me and stuff. <laughs> I always want to talk about you. Oh, I mean, <laughs> the most fun thing in the world was working with Dave. And I was so impressed what he did. So I invited a couple of people who had left the community in different stages of their lives. And I did tell them, listen, I don't want you to feel exploited. I don't want you to feel weird. I promise you, you're going to love Dave. He's not going to push you to answer any questions you don't want to and only come if you want to. So it wasn't a big group. It was a small group, but people that I saw as, as, as uh, Yaakov. And what Dave does, he comes in with cans of beer and I have like I don't even want to tell you how many cans of beer and <laughs> Dave says let me teach you a game that we did in college and we all are like what <laughs> and he does this game with with beer and a card on top of the beer wait did you did you teach them beer pong no what I'm, did you I'm, teach them coming back to me I think we played kings kings, kings cup I guess with the cards where the different cards you pick may have different rules associated with them yeah and then after I don't know that's right. We played. Yeah, and we are because I, I can remember. Was Nati there that no. night? I can remember somebody going, "Waterfall!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there was uh, Eli. The man. Eli was definitely. Yeah, there. it was the man that ended up going to your family for Thanksgiving. But after 
25 minutes. We're all three beers in and we start share everyone starts sharing stories oh you want to know what i did in high school and yeshiva and everyone talks and talks and i'm like holy shit dave what the fuck genius it was just so nice it was a great party but everyone opened so, up now this, that was a real that was really important though because a lot of people with this film they want to talk about the jewish aspects and the religious aspects and did yaakov regain his faith or how, what what's going on there and does this mean that religion is real and god is real because it has to be that way to get through and for me i i wasn't concerned with those questions going in i wasn't studying religious people i was trying to meet people who had left the community and as malki is saying there are a number of different ways to look at it some people are like like i don't want anything to do with it and some people are like for example, Maki, you go back every Friday for Shabbat, yeah, right? Mo- not since COVID, but yes. And that was crucial in understanding the, the struggle that Yaakov is going through because he needs to separate all of these ideas. He's leaving the community for one reason, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's completely changing the way he looks at the world. However, maybe he wants to change the way that he looks at the world. But just because you want to do something doesn't mean that you can he's going on this journey and figuring it out as he goes. And it was very, very important to me. I said it to Keith before we started and I said it multiple times while we were filming. I said, I have no interest in making a religious film. And Keith assured me, no, we're making a horror movie. This is not a religious movie. This is not a morality tale. This is a horror movie. And I went, okay, good. And then sometimes we'd be on set and I'd be like, is this a a religious film like can we change this thing here why is it like that what's going on and we it was very important to leave it open-ended and to make sure that this was a journey of someone who's figuring it out and who like maki is saying is complex and has different views towards things and can feel one way when they're talking about it themselves and another way when somebody else is talking about it he's still building his understanding of himself and the world and his community and his place in it so yeah that was there, there were several opportunities to moralize in this film, and it never went there. And I was so grateful as I was watching it, like, oh, no, is it gonna, this going to happen? No, it didn't. It didn't. And it, it really it stayed true to Yaakov's story. It just it, it stayed true. And that's that's one of the things I really loved about it. And that's one of the things I loved about. I'm not going to say any spoilers. One of the things I loved about the entirety of the film was, was oh. staying true to what you just talked about there. I want to give I want to give you a behind the scenes nugget, but I don't know if it's a spoiler or not. We well, can put well, an alert, 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 spoiler, possible spoiler. Or make a spoiler right, alert. Yeah, cover your ears if you don't want to hear it. Spoilers. So really a lot of credit goes to our producer Rafi, who was gone for one day of shooting he missed because it was uh, Hanukkah. And not even a Yom Tov. And um, that jokes for Malky. <laughs> and in that, it, we filmed one of the final scenes of the movie, and I slightly changed one of the lines from how it was in the script because I was concerned about it becoming a moral thing. And I talked to Keith about it, and he approved it, and we came to a line that we liked, and we performed the scene as such. And when Rafi saw it, he was very upset because he felt that it was actually moralizing in the opposite direction. I didn't want to reshoot it. We had too much to do. I thought it was stupid. I thought we already had a shot. We needed to move on. And he was adamant about reshooting 
that scene specifically for that line. And he was absolutely right because it created the openness that the film needs, that, that uncertainty. And the way that we had done it previously, there was too much certainty. And it was certainty in not necessarily anti-religious, but it was sort of what I had determined. And what I had determined is not important. It's about leaving it up to the audience, leaving it up to Yaakov. So the fact that we reshot that, it actually made it less of a morality tale. And, and as a result, I've had a lot of people talk to me about that moment and say, what, what, what does it mean? And what were you thinking? And blah, blah, blah. And I'm very happy and give him a lot of credit for having the foresight to, to make that adjustment. And, and it really is a big testament to their skill and attention as producers to, cause I've worked on a lot of low budget stuff and they took the time to get it right. Like Malky said earlier, we weren't going to move on unless it was how we wanted it. And a lot of that was Keith and a lot of that was them. And they gave me all the opportunities in the world. How do you feel about it? Do you want to do it again? They even at one point we had a, well, never mind. I'm not going to tell that story. Like you could tell. What well, sounded good? Tell us, tell us, tell us. <laughs> which one, which one? It was regarding a stunt, but I don't want to get it. Okay, fine. I'll get into it. <laughs> Malky wants to know as much well, as we There were two. There were two. I, I want... Well, I like to do my I like to do my own stunts, and I had toyed with the idea of doing this stunt, and it's very dangerous. And basically, we had so much to do that night. It was like, yeah, well, I'm not doing that stunt. Like, there's just no way. It's so dangerous, and it's just crazy. I talked with the stunt guy at length beforehand to sort of help to try to not necessarily direct him but like to talk to, about the character and this moment and all this stuff because it's very important to me to have control over the performance in that way and that's why I hesitated to tell you about it because I didn't want to admit that it wasn't me however he really deserves a lot of credit because that was a very very dangerous stunt um and in the moment I remember he did it one time and was really shook up and it was like, we got to do it again. And he did it again and was like, what could I mean? Come on, what do you think? And, and Keith looked at me and he, we were watching the playback and he was like, what do you think? And I was like, so torn in that moment because part of me is the actor brain and like the care for my fellow performer. And like, I don't want to make this guy. And then the other part of me is like, we got to get it perfect. I don't remember if we did it again or in that moment, but it was the fact that, you know, Keith he did it again. Keith looked at me and was like, "What? Well, you know, are you are you happy with this? What are we moving on or not?" And he that that stunt performer really did a great job with that. I wanted to say one more thing about about the movie. Dave, you said that we weren't making a religious film. Every time I get an email and the subject line is, "Can you please read? It's a religious film or a religious pilot." I don't even open it. Nobody should be writing a religious film or a religious part. You write a story. I'll probably jinx it just by mentioning it, but I was excited because I read for a project the other day in which he's a priest, uh, a Catholic priest. And I was like, that would be fun to go from this to that. I see that. You just see something in every religion. I know, just that can be nail my that down. Imam next. Horror from every religion, right? <laughs> So I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that while there's so so many scary parts of this, there's also some very, I mean, to an off the derech 
person such as myself, a person who was religious and is no longer religious, there is some highly relatable comedic bits, especially between Sarah and Yaakov, like the part where Yaakov's hugging Sarah and it's so awkward at the end of their 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 meeting, their like footsteps esque meeting. I was like, oh, oh, I feel that. And later when you guys are texting and you put the period after the hey, I was like, no, God, no, why? That's no. And it reminded me of like the first time I went to a Wendy's after I stopped keeping kosher and I had like a full on freak out meltdown because I didn't know how to order a combo meal. And it's like just some basic things to other people don't seem like it would be an issue. But there's something so like organically funny and relatable about this to anybody who's been in a similar position of leaving a way of life and trying to figure out how to go through life from here on in a completely different world and different values. How did you guys tap in? Well, I know, Malky, how you tapped in, but to, to kind of really hone in on the little elements of, of humor in this experience. I was just talking to people and just it, at first it was like mind boggling to you hear things and you go, really? You never... You, you didn't speak English until you, you were 12 and you live in Brooklyn or you never saw a movie until you were 14. One, one person said the first movie they saw was Britney Spears' movie. Crossroads? I think Crossroads. And oh, it was wow. the first film they had seen and they watched it on an iPod Nano in a public park on the public Wi-Fi. And I, mean, I, I felt like... Fault. And but the conversation, I was trying to be so respectful, but the conversation was like, "Have you seen it? It's a great film." And I was like, "What? Like, what? like it didn't make sense to me." But then the more you dig into it, and the more you talk to people, the more it makes complete sense. One of the questions I asked was, "Like, how are you not aware of X, Y, and Z when there's billboards up? Don't you walk three blocks and then and then realize, like, oh yeah, this is going on, like." What, weren't you curious when I was a kid I was like running around neighborhoods and getting into trouble you know and sneaking in places and and this was the first time I learned how real demons are to that community was they said no because I was told if I leave my three six block radius demon is gonna get me it's, it's, and I was like wait y'all really are told demons get you like that yeah that's what we're told go to hell demons will get you it's like wait we believe in hell what are you talking about? Yes. Oh, my gosh. This is my, my life quest is to tell everybody that Jews actually do have a hell. Which was a complete surprise to me. I had no idea. And then this fascinating thing. So I said, what about the billboards? And I think this was Eli who told me this. But what about what did you think when you saw the billboards? He said, well, people have photos of themselves up in their houses. I thought that this was just people with a bunch of money wanting to put pictures up of themselves. And, and he was he was like, I never thought about it. I looked around and it's just photos up. And and I didn't want to leave my three block radius because it was dangerous. And there were evil people out there that'll kill you. And that's what that we were a doing. Fascinating take. I never even thought about it that way. Malky, since this, this definitely is a more personal from your own experience. How was this like finding finding elements of humor in a situation that can be so painful even years after the fact? still very emotional. I always, I often get asked, how is it playing a Hasidic or ex-Hasidic character? Does it feel like playing yourself? It's not really, because you still play someone else, but what you have going for you is you have, I have 20 years of research, so I know how they behave and what are the restrictions. But with Sarah, 
actually, Sarah is very close to where I am. She had left a while ago. But you never forget when you were uh, at those moments. You never forget when you couldn't hug. You never forget. And you're so forgiving. And there is this sense of family when you feel when you meet another a fellow OTD or the way they call us it's almost like when you're traveling I don't know you're in China and you hear someone speak English and you're like oh hi America yeah hi 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 yeah. it's that kind of from you feel so familiar and you feel like oh we should be friends and then also Sarah thinks that Yago is really cute but it was refreshing but it was really interesting the scene that has taken place a few minutes before the saying goodbye became so surreal we were all holding tears because most of the cast were actually people who have left the community that i don't think i remembered that this isn't happening a camera on camera off it's always an acting that half of your brain believes that this is happening i don't think the other half wasn't there i think it was a moment of like, oh, look at this kid. And I remember Dave, I asked him, do you want coffee? And the line is, yes, I think, or not, no. But he says, I don't drink coffee. And I'm like, typical, of course. Because I don't. <laughs> but every, every OTD friend that I met, I'm mean, not every, but so many of them just wouldn't like coffee. And I would be like, okay, let's have hot chocolate. How about tea? So it was just surreal. It was feeling like reality once again i did cry that night but i cry almost every night i'm not depressed it's just my my, my nature and this is what a lot of artists do there is no yeah. shame in that i do every five oh, minutes thank you i'm you know i, I still beat you <laughs> but it did feel surreal I, I i love to play all kind of characters but I do love to play characters that are Hasidish or ex-Hasidish because I like giving justice, full justice to whomever I play. And I think that there's so much you can learn and there is uh, so much that you already have. So if I already have all of this, look at how much hours and how many hours and hours they've had put into just understanding the culture. I have that. So I like to build on top of it. So everything for me is a combination of joy and hard work and pain and I love them all equally. Thank you to Keith, Dave and Malky for joining us today on the Vibe of the Tribe. Pleasure to be here. Thank Great talking to you all. Yeah, thank you for having us. It was a real pleasure. Thank you to IFC Films and Tamar Simon from Mean Streets Management. To get tickets or watch The Vigil at home, visit www.thevigil.movie. Thank you to everyone out there for listening. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate and review The Vibe of the Tribe wherever you listen to pods. Thank you to our editor, Jesse. Stay safe, wear a mask, and don't forget to check your mizuzote to make sure you don't get demons. Oh,